but after each one we'll also have periods of silence. These will be times of reflection and personal prayer. So listen to the words. Savor them. Let them strike you or comfort you when they need to. And in the silence, sit with them. Turn them over in your heart and pray through what you hear Jesus saying to you. And if, as so often happens to us in quiet spaces, you find it hard to hear or feel anything but the sound of your own breathing, then you can follow the advice of the poet R.S. Thomas and test your faith on emptiness, nailing your questions one by one to the cross. Words and silence. This will be our time together this morning. And in the middle of our contemplation, we'll be taking time to celebrate communion through the Lord's Supper. And we'll have three stations at the front, one there, one in the middle, and one here. And you are welcome to come when you're ready. And if for any reason you can't find you can't come up, you can raise your hand and someone can bring the elements to you. And after communion is done, we'll keep praying through the seven words and then I'll close us off with a benediction. So for now, let me open this service with a prayer by Walter Brueggemann. Would you please pray with me? Healing, sovereign God, overmatch our resistant ears with your transforming speech. Penetrate our jadedness and fatigue. Touch our yearnings by your words. Through your out loudness, draw us closer to you. We are ready to listen. You are the voice we can scarcely hear because you speak to us about dying and suffering. And we are impacted by so many voices that have to do with power and competence and success. We do know that you are the voice that gives life, that you are the voice that opens futures to people who are hopeless. We are a part of a hopeless people because the other voices eat at our hearts and we are immobilized and we become deaf. So we pray for new ears. We pray that your voice may be more audible to us, that we may be able to sort out the death-giving from the life-giving voices among us. We pray in the name of Jesus, through whom you have spoken in such inscrutable ways. Amen. The Song of the Suffering Servant. 
from the book of Isaiah. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. The seven words. The first word. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. 
But they all cried together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time, he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will, therefore, punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Seven Words by Stephen Gomez. Forgive. Of course, the hardest word comes first. The fragile word in us so often crushed by every vice's press, every slight and smear, every unjust word, the grudges held until they fester, pressure turning dignity to rage, righteous protest into spit and fury, foaming at the mouth for vengeance. That fragile word we might never speak, even on the point of death, is the first one from your mouth. Your back gouged out by lashing tongues of hypocrites and bullies, your tongue speaks only peace. The enemies you would lovingly embrace have forced your arms outspread, wringing from you with their grip what they need only ask for to receive. And even as the sky blots out the sun, the first word that you speak shines light onto that darkened hill, turning chaos into order, violence into love, and the first and fragile word to the most powerful of all.
the second word. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. Inside me, a dying ember sighs, spent by years of rage, tired of the fight, smothered now by passion and torment in defeat. The light is nearly gone, gasping for each breath of air, the last wisps of life drift up on a wind. My friend still spits out zealot's fire and brimstone. His flame still rages on against a flood of agony, bloody pain, and torture. We fought to build a paradise from the bones of our oppressors. Now we hang fire here in hell's waiting room. Perhaps it's just the pain that makes me see the one who hangs between us, burning like a beacon on this hill. My ember almost ashes now. Just one more moment here with him who waits for death as though it were no hard fight to make a paradise from hell.
the third word. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lemma, Sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken. You are the Word with God in the beginning and God in the beginning who gives us every word. Now you take our words and make them yours. David looked and did not find you, called himself forsaken. We look and do not find you, call ourselves forsaken. You who are the word, take our words and with them our lament. Take up David's cry and ours to claim it as your own. You call yourself forsaken. Stricken with our pain, Afflicted with our grief, rejected by our ignorance, cast aside, made to sit in the corner of our eye. You are where we cannot see you because you stand beside us at the moment we call ourselves forsaken.
the fourth word. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Behold, from the corner of our eyes, we see you, and turning to see you full and dying is to squint our eyes when we behold the sun. How did she force herself to look? She who carried you with one arm while the other stirred apart, who saw your eyes open that first time, saw their color when you first saw her. When others ran, faithless, she stood and watched. Did her eyes even flinch? They did not break faith. Those who stood and watched, helpless, yes, and grieving, but with faith to behold you dying, a sight starker than the noonday sun. Both of them beloved, bound by grief in you. Broken to bring us together, rejected that we might be reconciled, you make yourself the cord of faith that is not easily broken.
the fifth word. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. First, you eagerly desire to eat this Passover with us, hungry for our company, thirsty for our fellowship. We eagerly desire too, and know the ache of longing for things that are not yet. You felt desires piercing, jagged barb that cannot be pulled out, but only passed through, pressing deeper turning longing into needing. On the fifth day, you filled the waters and the air with life. On this day, barely able to draw air, you say you thirst for water. You who are the living water, needing water. You who are the bread of life, needing life but choosing to drink deep of sour wine and death. You let desire pass through you, feeling every cut and tear, releasing blood and water, that we might taste and see the end of all our need in you. You starve that we might be fed. You thirst that we might drink. You need that we might have. You feed us with yourself.
We're going to have a time of communion. I'll invite the communion servers up to the front. There'll be three stations of uh, communion. Um, you can come up as you feel. Uh, if you cannot come to the front, uh, you may raise your hand and someone will come, come to you.
the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus, and oh, precious is the The sixth word. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. finished. Wholeness comes from endings, and holiness too in endings. The triumph of the finish line crossing into victory, the laying down of work to rest, and with your almost dying breath you say, it is finished. 
By words, you made the world, and on the sixth, our flesh and blood became your image. Now, with these words, remake the world, and on this sixth, your flesh and blood begin to fade. You are crowned and set on high. This is your word of triumph, your final battle cry pushed out between cracked and thirsty lips, a king's victory exhaled from crushed and battered lungs. Our wholeness in your brokenness, our holiness in your ending. In destructive crucifixion does creation find completion so that life be never ending. Let all ends be new beginnings. Let this end be everlasting and the triumph now take root. Let the world hear it is finished and cry back that it is good. The seventh word. Then Jesus, 
calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Hands, those hands in tatters from the cruel iron which grips them tight to the wood. We prize out with our fingers the long, hard nails, receiving you with open hands. We bear you now who bore the heavy yoke of the cross and find you a burden lighter than we expected. Your breath and life you gave into your Father's hands. Your body is our gift. These hands that you have made now wrap you in grave clothes. You walked the earth, had hands like ours that built and touched and blessed. Your work is done, and on the eve of Sabbath, these hands lay you down to rest, commit you to the Father that the world might be remade, formed by the Father's hands. Give us hands to take your words and plant them deep within our earth, a seed to spring with the rising of the sun. But for now, our hands lay you down to rest, and that rest is silence.
the words of life by Malcolm Geip. You have the words of life. Where should we go except to you to try and take them in? We want your words to quicken us, to know and be transformed by knowledge deep within. How is it then these words seem dead in us? We neither let them go nor let them live. Their empty echoes always seem to haunt us as daily we refuse what they might give. O oh, teacher, we need more than just the hearing. More than these readings we have set apart. Somehow the two-edged sword we have been fearing must pierce at last the well-defended heart. Unsheathe it now and help us take the pain. Pierce to the point where we can start again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of our death. Give mercy and grace to the living, pardon and rest to the dead. To your holy church, peace and concord, and to us sinners, everlasting life and glory. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.